Before we jump into today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences that we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So let's get comfy and talk about death. Welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Jem. And I'm Red, and we are your concerned COVID commiserators this week. Hmm. So our last episode, we touched on um, COVID, the thing that's on everyone's minds right now. And uh, we kind of delved a little bit into some facts and figures, uh, started to talk about how it's been affecting our death care uh, lives. And uh, we're really excited this episode to start going a little more in depth with that. Uh, We have a lot more stories to tell you of on-the-job things that have been happening to us and uh, just a few more things we wanted to touch on, but I think that this episode is going to be very, very juicy for you guys wondering from the outside in what is going on behind the scenes in death care right now. Yep, this is part two of our 2020 COVID recap. And we've already talked about the meat and potatoes, but we want to get down into the nitty gritty and kind of talk about how exactly COVID has affected our industries and how it's affected ourselves individually. I like that we now have uh, measurements of our uh, conversations, whether it's, uh, is this a meat and potatoes episode or is this a nitty gritty episode? <laughs> is this a meat and potatoes or down dirty? Uh, <laughs> So as you can imagine, we talked about, you know, how exactly how many deaths, how many cases we're dealing with last episode. I'll remind you of the numbers because I think they're really important. So 19 million cases so far in the United States, 330,000 deaths. I'm sure the numbers are going to go up uh, between the time of this recording and the time of publishing. Um, But how does this affect management of the dead? Management of the dead is a phrase that I really, really like. Because people don't think about it, but managing dead bodies is a crucial part of, I would say, the societal like underbelly, like funeral directors and, you know, funeral homes, people die every day. Dead bodies are not something that people want to keep around. So something has to happen to them. And, you know, that's basically what our jobs are. But think about this, 800 people died in a single day in April in New York City at the peak of the first wave of the coronavirus disease. 800 people. Imagine 800 dead bodies just around New York City. What do you do with all of them? Of course, there are a lot of funeral homes, a lot of hospitals, but we don't really think about the amount of bodies that these facilities are prepared to take care of. A recent article by the New York Times details that the average capacity of hospitals in New York City is only 15 bodies. Let's say there are, you know, a few dozen, maybe less than that, hospitals in New York City. That still doesn't equal 800. Um, Now let's think about the medical examiner. The New York City morgue capacity is around 900 bodies, but that's total. So 800 bodies a day 
clearly we're going to go over that very soon. So you have to think about it from the aspect that, that with any major plague or anything, this isn't like, you know, bring out your dead. There's a cart that's just coming down the road that you can just stack bodies into it. I mean, the bodies have to go somewhere, like Jem said. And I, the numbers show that there's just we don't have room for them in the facilities that they're passing away in. And like the storage just isn't there. People need to be moved to their final disposition. And I mean, I've seen it even before pandemic, some of the um, morgues that I was going to medical examiner's offices, I mean, doubling up bodies on um, their tables. And I'm sure that people are being left in their hospital rooms and nursing home rooms for lengths and lengths of time. I mean, think about like nursing homes. There are usually multiple people to a room. There's mm-hmm. a live person now that is in a room with a dead body that is just sitting there for hours and hours because there's nowhere to take them. Mm, there's just no room. And I think that there are there are two images that I think are really, really important and kind of, I hope, survive to kind of show what happened when co- the coronavirus hit and the peak of coronavirus and how how unprepared everyone was. And I'm sure maybe you guys have seen, seen these pictures. Um, it's a picture of a hospital room with, it's, it's about five, five people. They're all in body bags, except you know, there's, they're laying in the hospital bed. They're, they're sitting, this person in a body bag, sitting in a chair and, you know, the halls are just filled like all the way down with hospital beds with bodies on them. And then, um, you know, we remember in New York city, they had, they had to get refrigerated trucks deployed to the streets and just bodies literally being like, stacked into these refrigerated trucks because there was there was just nowhere else to put them there was there was nowhere i remember this video of this like poor like you know morgue worker i just sympathized with him so much because i was like that's me like i i am exactly that's exactly my job and he was just like by himself just like putting these bodies in these refrigerated trucks like on the streets of New York City like out in the open this is this is the reality that happened you know there there was no room for these bodies and something had to happen New York Times actually wrote an article about the management of the dead in New York City and I know I'm talking about New York City a lot but I think it's actually a really good representation of the rest of the United States obviously it's a little bit more populated it's a it's a dense area so you can see coronavirus kind of affected New York City more harshly. But I think that these experiences have been seen pretty much everywhere else in the country. So that's why I kind of want to focus on New York City here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we both live in metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, on a smaller scale, yes, but it's still extremely true. Right. So like I said, you know, 800 people were dying a day in April and May back in the first wave peak. And, you know, sidebar, it's actually getting worse now. There's there's more people dying per day, but um, 800 people a day in New York City in April, that's that's a lot of bodies. Around this time, uh, the New York City government deployed 135 refrigerated trucks to the streets for hospitals to be able to put these bodies. Like I said, these hospitals are averaging about a 15 body capacity and even funeral homes in the area i would say funeral homes really i think the biggest funeral home work i've seen was like nine people it's usually like two two to four people can fit in your cooler and that's about all you got yeah we actually uh, are experiencing this problem right now with uh, my firm is that we do have refrigeration on site but it is not enough for the amount of bodies that we're seeing every day um our law 
uh, is that within 24 hours of someone passing, they either have to be refrigerated or embalmed, which when our refrigeration is all full up, that means that we have to ask permission to embalm bodies that normally wouldn't have to have it for services, like, you know, direct cremations and stuff. So our uh, embalming staff has been working like 12 hour shifts, like six right. days a week, just to keep up with embalmings that we don't even need to be doing. We just have no other options. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So when you embalm someone, they don't have to be refrigerated, but you know, you still, these bodies are still out. Like they have to be put somewhere. Like a body is kind of like a big thing. You can't just like throw it on a shelf and like, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm sure like, I'm imagining your friend home is just like, especially down in the embalming room, just like, you know, rows and rows of bodies along the hallways and stuff. It happens, but you know, when someone's embalmed, you don't have to be refrigerated. How right. big is your refrigeration unit at your funeral home? Do you um, know? I want to say it's three by four, 12. We can fit 12 on shelves. 12 bodies, yeah. And then like technically two or two to four on gurneys, but probably not like because then it's too hard to Tetris them around. But it got right. so bad that they actually had to build additional shelving uh, where we store caskets and everything keeps getting pushed farther and farther away. Like, OK, the casket holding room is now for bodies. And, you know, like wow. it, it's just it's it's gotten so bad at this point. Like we can't cremate people fast enough. We can't bury people fast enough. So I feel like crematories are getting super backed up too. I'm not sure. I can't really say anything about that. Oh, I, I absolutely believe that to be true as a funeral home that can own both. Uh, legislation's weird everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we, even though we have a crematory literally across the parking lot on site, like the thing is the government and all government programs and government regulated things are not moving fast because of the pandemic. So when mm. we have to get permits, uh, a doctor to sign death certificate and the permit for cremation, that still takes forever. So, I mean, between those things and just having too many bodies, like we just can't, we, we want to, we want to give people cremated. We just can't, like there's nothing we can do. Right. And plus doctors are like extra busy right now too. Super so hard to get a hold yeah. of them. It was oh already hard gosh. to get a hold of them before pandemics. <laughs> like they didn't want to deal with us then and they definitely don't want to deal with us now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. Especially like we talked about last episode in the beginning, autopsy results were taking like an extra two weeks because of the testing and stuff like this. I can't imagine how that like piled up and affected things. Yeah, absolutely. So now that the, I would say the pandemic is getting a little older, you know, we're starting to understand what we need and what is required for this just, you know, mass of dead bodies and uh, management of the dead. Uh, using New York City as an example, again, at the end of May, there were 2,137 bodies stored in Disaster Morgue 4, which is, a, which is a disaster morgue that New York City created to help with things like uh, mass tragedies like 9-11, obviously the pandemic. But 2,000 bodies is a lot. And a lot of them were there just because of the lack of resources, especially in including funeral homes. Funeral homes were just completely overwhelmed. I actually read an article about um, a funeral director who just got his license revoked, and uh, he's known as the first funeral director that had his license revoked due to coronavirus issues. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So what what had happened was he was a small funeral home in New York City. He reported that he usually only did six to seven funerals a month. That's a pretty small um a small capacity funeral home. Yeah, like but, one you or know, two a week, very, very, yeah. very small. 
but you know it was it was just him and usually he could he could handle that but of course when coronavirus started you know all of these bodies were rolling in people were getting desperate people were calling just any funeral home just to see if there was space or if they could get services or you know anything and um this funeral director unfortunately he just kept saying yes and you know eventually he was you know, bodies were piling up. He didn't have the manpower. He didn't have the resources. He couldn't embalm them, which is violation. He couldn't um, cremate them fast enough. So the, this became medical examiner case. You know, obviously when, when someone goes in and finds a bunch of dead bodies that are not supposed to be there, really, mm-hmm. they're supposed to be buried, this becomes a medical examiner case. Um, people were reporting that they had to be called in to identify bodies of relatives that had passed away in April that had just been discovered recently, severely what? decomposed, um, not taken care of. And I I do feel bad because, you know, this funeral home director obviously didn't ask for help. He was a yes man. But, you know, this is this is kind of the reality. Like he, he never had any complaints before, you know, he was just kind of doing his own thing with his, you know, six to seven funerals a month. And it just, it just exploded to this. And this kind of is indicative of, of, you know, how unprepared people were and how, you know, unequipped people are to take care of this, just like, you know, mass, mass, like amount of dead people. And I, and we are seeing that now. I mean, with even with the spike back in April, which was fairly bad, we didn't feel, at least personally, I didn't feel it that bad in mm. in uh, our area. But ever since the holidays, it has ramped up to the point like we are barely holding on. We were already understaffed before going into this, and now it's it's getting to the point I'm making two arrangements a day and mm-hmm. like somehow have to figure out how to fit. I mean, I went from essentially making an arrangement every other day mm-hmm. to making two arrangements a day, sometimes three, and then having service delivery on top of that. And it's, that's all of us. Like we're all in that. And we find ourselves at this difficult balance of how do we keep providing the same services and like level of uh, performance and professionalism for our families when we just can't. We just don't have the ability to do that anymore. We're getting to that that tipping point where we're gonna see at my firm specifically, like we're gonna see ourselves become like New York. Like I, I wonder, mm. with the uh, the culmination of you know obviously more deaths in the winter. If you guys listened to that episode we talked about before, a thousand more deaths a day in the winter than in the summer, mm-hmm. plus COVID deaths on top of that. I mean, we all might see ourselves going into where New York was going to direct disposition, uh, direct cremation or direct burial, just because we can't possibly deal with what's happening. Right. And I do want to say that, you know, talking about the funeral home before that lost their license and, you know, like relatives decomposing over months and months and months, this is like, you know, rare case scenario. Yeah, like that's like <laughs> the worst case scenario ever. Mo- like most, if not all funeral homes, you know, they can ask for help. And, you know, the medical examiner is there to help. Like, the, you know, if you go to the government and you're like, I, I can't deal with all of these bodies, like they're going to figure something out for you because 
it's on them now. Like they can't let these bodies like decompose in your funeral home. Like, no, it's not happening. But, um, so, you know, don't worry too much. These, these things that happen are just indicative of like what people are going through and like how, how just disastrous this really is, especially in the early days, like lack of resources was a huge, huge thing. I remember, so I, I worked on a medical examiner's office. I'm a grad student now and a medical program at university um, there was an N95 shortage for a very, very long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. And um, these, so N95 masks are medical grade professional masks. I think con- like contractors or construction workers wear them too, but they filter out like 95% of whatever particles. And they are effective against the coronavirus because the size of the coronavirus is actually pretty large, you know, considering. Um, but because of like, the mad rush to like get as much and like hoard. I don't know if you guys remember, people were like hoarding supplies, like hand sanitizer and oh like God, medical yeah. masks and stuff. This directly affected like medical institutions and like funeral homes, I'm sure. They like, were... especially embalming supplies. <laughs> yeah, it was honestly, it was funny because in the beginning few months, they were like, okay, if you guys happen to be out shopping and you find hand sanitizer, gloves, any of these things, please buy them. The company will reimburse you for them. Like, we don't have like a lock on where to get stuff from yet and like even when we finally did months down the road found like a a quote-unquote hand sanitizer guy like one of those like it was like back alley hand sanitizer we were getting like these crazy bad masks (laughs) from china like it was it was insane yeah that's what it's come to and it's that like how it's affected this medical supplies economy has been insane the markup is ridiculous oh a box of gloves at walmart right now are you kidding me you're paying like two dollars a glove like it's insanity and then on top of that uh hand sanitizer like random like factories that have never made hand sanitizer before are just like making them i don't know if you guys have noticed but hand sanitizer some places now smells like straight up rum disgusting but that's like they're i'm pretty sure alcohol companies are making hand sanitizer because that's basically what it is i mean it's profitable (laughs) as heck right now so i don't blame them i mean they're they're a close shot away from making it anyway so it just makes sense they're uh diversifying their portfolio (laughs) yeah I don't even I'm not a COVID uh, like a nurse or doctor or anything, you know, but they were having us rewear our N95s. I remember at the medical examiner office, we had to rewear our N95 as long as it wasn't dirty. And then in medical grad school, you know, we're dealing with medical specimens every day. And I've had the same N95 for like the entire pandemic. <laughs> it's so bad (laughs) i know admittedly i don't wash my masks as much as i should (laughs) oh yeah your cloth mask you should wash as often as you can but it's you know you got to do what you got to do and it's just it's it's not great but you got to do what you got to do thank goodness it never came down to reusing gloves that's a little bit harder of a trick to (laughs) to get through (laughs) so obviously a lot of these changes uh continue on not only from just Uh, the hospitals or to the removal of the deceased into funeral homes. But how have funeral services themselves changed? What have we changed with every governor having different uh, ways of doing things and limiting things, special events? Um, I can only, of course, speak for my state, but um, they limited at the beginning uh, towards the beginning of the pandemic, they limited it to 10 people only in the building. So that meant we can only, you know, service one family at a time going from, you know, my funeral home used to having two, three services at any given time. Now only one service at a time, only 10 people. Um, we aren't allowed to have any, you know, food like 
you know, finger foods and stuff that normally people would go to the lounge and eat. Uh, we've mm. kind of worked away from doing, you know, uh, catered events and things to like, if you want to do that, you have to take a box lunch home on your way out. No sharing rides. Um, and it, it's been a little more relaxed towards towards now here in December, um, December, January time. Like they actually opened it back up to half capacity uh, of the building but if you think about that going from 10 people to you know half capacity at a funeral home could be like still like 100 200 people yeah. um fortunately we as a company talked about that and said set a hard number at 50 because mm. honestly wrangling more than 50 people is so difficult <laughs> i know i can imagine trying to make sure they're all like socially distanced and wearing masks <laughs> yeah and that that is half of the problem i mean we we mandated it that people come through coming through the door have to wear masks and i i feel like i have to talk to people as if i'm the parent to a child it is it is ridiculous i mean it was hard enough to get them to wear the mask coming in the building and then i go i go into the visitation room to do my rounds and all of a sudden like people were you know pulling their masks back on or I have to go up to people three times my age and be like, sir, you're going to have to do this. You're, you you have to wear your mask to be here. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's like people honestly really don't think it's a big deal. Like it doesn't apply to them. Like like it's a hoax or something. Yeah, and it's, you know, even if say for some weird reason, all the 50 people are in their own like, you know, social distancing bubble, like you're still a person too. Like you deserve protections too. <laughs> Yeah, that, that always bothers me. I'll have people that'll like walk into the building and like as they're like walking past me, they're putting on their mask. And I'm like, but you already exposed me to like whatever by walking past me without your mask. So yeah, it's like you're, you're almost there, guy. But and not to like der derail the conversation or anything, but the masks like really work, guys. Like I'm not really going to go into it too much, but I did have some classmates that tested positive for coronavirus. I was literally standing right next to them. I was wearing a mask. And I was standing right next to them for like, I don't know, three or four hours. And I did not test positive. Like the mask, the mask fork, like just wear them. <laughs> really, 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 truly, really wear the masks. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but I think there's been a lot of controversy about the coronavirus. And I think that people that aren't directly affected by it, like say you've never gotten COVID or say you don't work in a hospital or you don't work in the death industry, um, because of our government's response and kind of how, you know, ideas about the coronavirus were, you know, cultivated there is like a conspiracy out there that it like doesn't exist yeah and <laughs> i i see that a lot since i'm on the like i guess you could say customer service side of, mm -hmm. of things in a way i actually it was awful i think the worst funeral service i've worked so far um because of just like people denying uh, these things. It was it was more towards the beginning. Uh, it was right when we opened back up to to fifty people uh, in the building at my funeral home, and it was already a family that was kind of primed and ready to go for like not believing in it. They the I had some of the members of the family like walk through the door and they're like, "I'm not wearing one of those. I have a medical condition." And this was before we kind of like knew what our legal rights were as a business mm -hmm. to be able to ask them to like leave or present like medical papers that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they went into the room, like they, everyone else started doing the same thing, uh, taking their masks off as, as like a, like a statement against us. 
And I remember uh, I had vigilantly counted to my 50 people and we were 10 over and the service was about to start. And I, I you know, straight up went in there and, and had to give the bad news. You know, sorry, folks, we're about to start, but I'm going to have to ask 10 people to leave. We are over capacity where we have webcasting for the service available. And it was nice out at this point, you know, the summer so they could go sit yeah. outside and watch the webcast of the service. And I got booed out of the room, um, like oh straight my- up heckled like, by yeah <laughs> like they like but they were like boo well it was the, the same person that had started the whole thing when walked when she walked through the door and said she had a medical condition and i i really doubt she did um she was calling at me as i walked out of the room saying george floyd's funeral had thousands of people you can't tell me i can't oh, be at my aunt's my. funeral oh my god it, it oh was god. it was like i i i had never i had never felt what i felt that day on any uh, day of my life before like i'm doing this to protect you like right? like you? this is like our jobs like we don't want you to end up in this same position like it's just it's just so crazy and people i think they just are just so like selfish sometimes and they just can't think outside of their own like wants and you know it's it's just crazy and unfortunately as death professionals and dealing with families you know we do have to deal with this especially with the coronavirus yeah absolutely and that's just you know from the customer service aspect i mean there's still there's still tons of things that are going on behind the scenes that have changed i mean you know, and embalming. Um, so something that I get asked a lot actually is, um, are dead bodies with COVID safe to be around whether, you know, they just passed away from it or, you know, at a funeral service? Like, are we allowed to touch grandma in the casket? Yeah, I think because, you know, the virus is, you know, a lot about it is unknown or like, you know, the general population doesn't really know a lot about how viruses work and how infections work. I think it's kind of um, scary. Like if a dead body is laying there, like, can you can you get coronavirus from a dead body? And to what point? Like how long or like how how long does it stay or like how long are they infectious? Um, you know, obviously, just from medical examiner experience right off the bat, you absolutely can get coronavirus from a dead body, um, especially so the coronavirus is a respiratory disease. The particles, if they get into your airway, um, that's how you catch the disease. So if, say, we're moving a body and, you know, when I think we've talked about this before, I'm not sure, but if people die and you move them, sometimes air can get expelled from their stomach, their lungs, whatever, um, and they'll make like, you know, gasping sounds or whatever. So this is a way that the virus can be introduced into the air and infect people. Another way is um, if you're doing an autopsy and you're using a bone saw, uh, the bone saw oscillates and it kind of kicks up particles from the the blood and the bone and the tissue. So if you're using a bone saw to open the skull or open the rib cage, that's another high risk activity that could get coronavirus into the air and get you infected. Same thing with embalming. Embalming is an extremely invasive procedure where there's a lot of lifting and moving, uh, positioning of the deceased, which, like you said, is pushing on organs and causing them to expel the air in their lungs out into the air that we're breathing. Uh, and I mean, of course, like using a trocar, I mean, you're you're basically stabbing into organs and causing them to like push and like there's there's so much that that can cause, especially for those that are dealing with the bodies before, you know, the family mm-hmm. sees them um, that th- we're basically putting ourselves at risk from that. I know that a lot of embalmers uh, have been placing like 
uh, towels essentially over faces just to help with the air coming out or blankets mm-hmm. or sheets and things like that. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy to think about that. I know there's, uh, there's been cases obviously of funeral directors and embalmers getting COVID. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessarily easy to track where exactly, but I mean, obviously it's easy to kind of understand the connection that it would be from, you know, going into nursing homes or doing those embalmings. Right. We're definitely high risk employees for sure. As far as COVID autopsies go in general, there's not really anything different from a regular autopsy. Obviously you have to be concerned about the lungs and there's still a lot of research being done, but from what we can see, um, from what my office has seen, COVID infected lungs are, they look very different. So you can kind of tell if someone might have COVID. They're very red and they're very like they're very angry looking. (laughs) So (laughs) I would say like inflamed, swollen, a lot of like uh, edema, which is just like extra fluid in there. So we can kind of, we can kind of use that as a metric. If we don't know if someone has COVID, if we open them up and we see these kind of characteristic lungs, it kind of helps us guide our autopsy in that way and be more careful about that kind of stuff. But microscopically, COVID can be found in all of your organs. Like I said before, it infects your entire body, which is just insane. Um, But Red, do you know how it kind of infects embalming and how that changes? Do you know if it embalming like gets rid of the coronavirus? So how it presents to us, we can kind of tell if somebody's got COVID based on like there's a lot we, we notice a lot more clotting. There's a lot more clotting of mm. the blood. Um lung purge is huge. We see lots and lots of lung purge. Uh and then some cases present with like more edema um in the bodies. Mm. But yeah, the, the big one's gonna be the lung purge. Um, so, I mean, we, we tend to bump up the index, which just is like a stronger fluid, a stronger arterial fluid, just in case. Um, and we do ask pretty much permission to embalm all COVID patients just in case as well. But embalming for the most part is about the same. Um, the unfortunate thing is the amount of stuff that I've sat in on, you know, uh, web webinars and things like that. I still haven't seen numbers come out for, you know, how effective is embalming versus, you know, the COVID virus, like on a mm-hmm. microscopic level. Um, the only thing I can base it on really is when we look at any other, you know, illness, any other bacteria, any other virus, uh, embalming is pretty much, I'd say 99.99% effective uh, at treating bodies, especially since we're doing interior and external uh, sanitization essentially through chemical means. So, I, I've been, that's what I've been telling a lot of my families when they ask me that hard question, you know, like, are we, are we even able to touch grandma? Like I, I, that some people come in expecting there to be like a glass box around them. Uh, right. essentially I, I usually tell families, you know, it's, it's okay to, to touch their hands and things. I mean, we're doing our best through, you know, full body arterial embalming and of course, sanitization of the exterior part, external part of the body. Um, but I unfortunately don't have anything to back that up that that is foolproof i just have what based on what other you know bacterial things uh, you know treatments for other bacterial things that treatments that we've used no based on just any other virus or bacteria that we've dealt with that it's pretty good (laughs) against yeah (laughs) so i would say maybe don't 
like kiss grandma on the lips or whatever but definitely i would i would never recommend that anyways (laughs) but yeah if you think about it you know this makes sense like dead people aren't breathing like if you the lungs are either getting you know eviscerated by an autopsy or they're getting eviscerated by the trocar which like punctures them and injects fluid into them and you know the airway they're not breathing anymore if you sanitize really well around the area like eh, i would say there's a very it's like low risk i would say low risk yeah i would say extremely low risk the the highest risk are people that try to uh hug and shake hands at a visitation those people (laughs) are the risk (laughs) yeah exactly so obviously we're not really sure what the future of death care looks like but it's pretty safe to say that there are going to be some long-term changes. Um, I would say even if things do get back to normal, even if the vaccines are pretty successful, and even if the disease is eradicated, this has really changed the medical industry, you know, and how we deal with things and how how things are procedurally done. I would say for it, these changes are going to stick around for a long time. I agree. I think there's things that we're going to carry through to the end of the pandemic and after uh, with this, honestly. I mean, I feel like this has boosted a lot of people's, uh, you know, interest in direct dispositions or cremation. So we're going to see, you know, even a bigger swing uh, towards different types of dispositions and just how people, you know, look at quote unquote, what a traditional service is like, like what is what are what are we expecting out of just funeral services in general? And um, honestly, I really hope that masks kind of become like a thing. Like, let's bring masks back. <laughs> like, we should be like many other countries already observe. Like, hey, let's keep wearing masks when we're sick. So mm-hmm. I, I really hope that's a positive change we see for the future. I know. Even in my personal life, I have never been less sick in my entire life. Oh, my gosh. Like, so healthy right now. <laughs> <laughs> knock on wood, I have not uh, contracted coronavirus yet. But, you know, I usually get sick around the winter. Like, my immune system is pretty crap. But, like, just, like, wearing masks out to, like, the supermarket or, like, you know, gas station, wherever, like, sanitizing and washing your hands a lot. I have not gotten sick this season, like, at all. And this is, like, astonishing. Like, I love it. <laughs> I know I'm going to knock on one over here for the same. I usually get sick three times a year. And I am running on just mm-hmm. completely clear skies right now. Yeah. So just to wrap up, right now, we're actually starting um, administration of the Pfizer vaccine, also the Moderna vaccine. What these vaccines do is they're created using the spike proteins that we talked about in our last episode, right? So the spike proteins of the Corona-19 virus were used to create this vaccine. So the actual coronavirus is not in the vaccine. You're not getting injected with the actual COVID-19 virus. Um, But because these spike proteins are present in the vaccine, what happens is that you get the vaccine, your body recognizes these spike proteins, and they produce antibodies to combat them. So this is why we need a first shot and then we need a booster shot. So the first shot happens, your body recognizes the spike proteins. They're like, okay, we got to start doing something. So your body starts creating all these antibodies. The booster shot will help, you know, solidify this immunity, make sure that your body is doing the right thing Um, because your immune system is actually pretty cool. It actually knows (laughs) what it's doing most of the time. Um, So now that you have these antibodies, your body is at a like a higher vantage point to combat the coronavirus. 
Um, so, you know, virus vaccines aren't perfect. Like, you know, this one, it's not once you get it, you're 100% immune. We actually don't know how long this immunity will last. There's still research being done on that. Um, but, you know, it's I, I would say it's very positive. Like, uh, your body is going to do what it needs to do. There's been trials, you know, vaccines have been around for for a while. Like we know what we're doing. We know how to use these spike proteins and how antibodies work. So I would say if you have a chance to get the vaccine, just go do it. Like there's no harm. Yeah, I would agree with that too. It's better to have it and start on that path. I mean, all crazy conspiracies aside, it's really the right thing to do for yourself and for those around you. Mm -hmm. It's like getting the flu shot. Yeah, Just absolutely. think of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a year in review for COVID and how it has affected us and just kind of a general overview on it. Uh, and who knows? I mean, maybe we'll be doing another episode like this in uh, 2021, reviewing how that year went for us, because I imagine we're in for a lot of the same stuff. I know. I hope it doesn't last another year, but it's it's kind of looking like it, guys. I'm sorry, but it is. Yeah, unfortunately. But if we can get through last year's dumpster fire, we could definitely get through 2021 in, I think, much higher spirits. That's true. So please remember to thank your local death care worker. We've really been working hard to take care of you guys. And it has been a struggle, but, you know, we're doing our best and we just want everyone to get better and stay safe. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about taking care of your neighbor. But that's it for this week on Mort Mike. We'd love to connect with you guys on socials. Like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Mort Mike Podcast. That's M-O-R-T-M-I-C-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. It would mean a lot to hear your feedback or how COVID's affected you at your job. So please tell us what you think in a comment and drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site you use. And if you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions you might have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. I also want to thank our friend Marson for the use of his song titled Deputies of Death, which he produced just for our show. You can listen to more of his music at Marson, that's M-A-R-S-O-N, music.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Marson. And we'd like to give another shout out to our donors that sent us a little little gift this holiday season to help support Mort Mike in uh, the coming 2021 season. So thank you guys so much for being supporters of the show. Thank you for your lovely notes that you left for us. It really brightened our day, and we're really looking forward to making more content for you guys in 2021. Yes, thank you so much. So whether you like it or not, you're stuck with us for another year. <laughs> Um, but like Red said, we really enjoyed your notes. It really made us feel good about what we're doing. So thank you, Laura. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you, Trin. Thank you, Jonathan. And thank you, Cass. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, guys, thank you so much. And be sure to tune in every other week on Thursdays for some more casual discussions on death. This has been Mort Mike. Bye. Bye. Bye.